new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. we got a post-game podcast here. Wes Rucker and Ryan Callahan and Ben McKee coming to you from Neyland Stadium. I believe we're in the visitors' radio booth this week, and Tennessee has taken care of the visitors in this game. Tennessee, the 21st-ranked Vols, defeat Vanderbilt 48-24, to doubling up the doors. Tennessee did not cover for those who are into those sorts of things, but... Uh, decisively Tennessee won this football game, which I think will be much more important to Josh Heupel and his team, a a team that uh, has kind of been banged up past couple weeks, have not gone very well. Uh, Tennessee had, I believe, 11 or 12 players who were not available to play in this game. That can happen uh, this time of year. Uh, It certainly has happened to this team, a lot of important players out of the lineup. But the players that were there, they finished the drill, took care of Vanderbilt. 617 yards of total offense for the Vols, despite uh, taking Joe Milton III out of the game uh, there after three quarters, basically. A game that I think Tennessee needed for many, many reasons. It's not like you have a tremendous amount to gain by beating Vanderbilt if you're Tennessee in this situation. But you had a whole hell of a lot to lose if things had not gone well in this game. And so took care of business, got the win, got some guys out there on the field, send the seniors out with the win, and maybe their final game. We, we don't know more on that later, but uh, I think a good day for Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely, and a, a career day for, for Joe Milton, uh, an impressive way to, to end his uh, his his Tennessee career, at least his his final home game at Neyland Stadium, uh, but to, to to go out with with a really impressive performance. His first 300 yard game, what 383 yards passing, four touchdowns, two touchdowns on the ground, first six touchdown game for any Tennessee player uh, since Jonathan Crompton in 2009. I thought that was kind of a a fitting uh, cross reference there with the two of those guys, uh, both kind of much maligned quarterbacks who. Uh, uh, you know, Crompton maybe remembered a little more finely because he was perceived as turning things around toward the end of his Tennessee career. Joe Milton, I'm not sure he will get the same benefit of the doubt from fans, but uh, I thought thought it was uh, it was it was good to see him, you know, personally go out on a high note, considering what a what a kind of turbulent year and three years it's been for for Joe Milton. And I know it, it obviously meant a lot to him. He talked about being emotional this week about playing his uh, his final game at Neyland Stadium, even though things. Obviously, haven't gone perfectly according to plan since he arrived at Tennessee. Uh, it, it clearly meant a lot to him to to go out the right way. So, uh, good a good day overall for Tennessee. Like you said, Wes, a lot to lose if this game had not gone well. Tennessee needed to get the bad taste out of its mouth after a couple of really ugly losses the last two weeks against Missouri and Georgia. Um, two really good teams, but doesn't change the fact that those were really disappointing losses for the Vols, and that they didn't show up uh, really uh, looking like they were ready to compete against either of those teams. And uh, this, this, you know, eight and four put, puts the finishing touches on another solid regular season, uh, as was pointed out in the post-game press conference by a reporter. Uh, an eight-win season that was as good as any regular season wins-wise as any season Tennessee has had uh, over the past three head coaches before Josh Heupel, you know, but Butch Jones, uh, eight wins twice. That was the high water mark for Tennessee for more than a decade. And, and now people are disappointed a little bit with eight wins. And that, I think that shows you uh, that in and of itself, how much Josh Heupel has already raised the bar at Tennessee. But the bottom line is it is still kind of a disappointing season for Tennessee. They needed this one though, to salvage it as a solid year, as opposed to a really big disappointment. And they did because as I, I guess it was Wes and I, I don't know, me and somebody talked about last week. You, you, you just don't want to lose to Vanderbilt. Uh, that that typically doesn't go well. It, it may have been 
myself and Patrick in one of our no huddles uh, last week. You'll have to forgive me. The football is running alongside the, the three basketball games last week, so I, I don't remember what I said and when I said it uh, last week. But I know at some point we, we talked about uh, there, there's not a lot of, a lot to gain from from this game in terms of if, if you beat Vanderbilt, it, it's ho-hum. It's what you're supposed to do. But, boy, if you lose it, it, it can it can quickly – it would probably put Josh Heupel in the hot seat going into the offseason, quite frankly. If if you lose to Vanderbilt, at, at least that, it would, it would be very it. close. It would certainly warm it up. And uh, I believe Patrick made the point that coaches that lose to Vanderbilt, it, it typically does not fare well for them. So uh, good on Tennessee for avoiding that disaster today. Uh, I, I thought today was somewhat of a culture win. Uh, yes, you, you, you didn't meet expectations this season you you fell short of those uh but i i think that has more to do with personnel issues than culture issue or coaches not knowing what they're doing issues like we've seen in the past with butch jones and and Derek dooley and jeremy pruitt like the that was a, a sign of bad things to come and, and those cultures were never quite what it needed to be if josh heupel's culture wasn't what it needed to be Tennessee doesn't respond with a 48-24 win over even a bad Vanderbilt team coming off of Tennessee coming off of back-to-back tough losses to to Missouri and Georgia ugly losses quite frankly where the noise outside of the building has gotten pretty loud just because of how frustrating the losses were and um, the the season eight and four much different than the talk of ten and two in the preseason and contending for the East and and things of that nature. Uh, so for for all that talk and then uh, this is a banged up football team. It's Thanksgiving week. It's odd uh, today's day and age of college football where guys are are quitting on the team, uh, not entering the transfer portal, quitting on their team before the regular season comes to an end. Uh, th- there was none of that. And I, I think that speaks to, to Josh Heupel's culture and, and, and what he's built up. And uh, even if some of the individual players have been frustrating at times this season, for those seniors to to, to act as true leaders this week and not allow the team to, to suffer what would have been a disastrous loss. I, I really do think it speaks to the culture that Josh Heupel has built up first and foremost. Yeah, I think we could spend however long we do this, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 50, whatever it ends up being, we could, every sentence that comes out of our mouth, we could, after that, add a clause that says, I mean, it's Vanderbilt. We, we could spend forever doing that. But I think we've mentioned that no one here is ignoring that it was Vanderbilt. However, I, I think in this day and age, it can be so easy to discredit things and much more difficult to credit things. And I think with what Tennessee has done here, this offensive line, the nicest way to say it, has been beat to hell physically all season long. Ollie Lane is the only person who has started every single game this season for Tennessee up front, and even he's done it at a couple different positions. They've had guys playing on one leg at offensive line. They've had guys getting rolled up on. They've had, you know, it's like, you know, Milton said, it's like you go into some weeks, like, okay, who, who can play O-line this week and who can't? And they've gone through that, and this Vanderbilt team did push Georgia not too long ago. It's got some players on it. I think some players that are being misused and some who's, Careers might be advanced by going elsewhere, but we'll see. But some talented players, a few of them anyway, and a team that always plays hard against Tennessee. Tennessee went out there and executed. Joe Milton executed. You know, it, it's we've seen days where Joe Milton, even when there's some time there, even when things are going right, he'll miss some throws. He hardly missed anything today. One deep shot to Keaton was about six inches too far, and maybe Keaton could have laid out and gotten it. Maybe. But then speaking of Ramel Keaton, this is a guy who – played through about two-thirds of the season on a bad foot and never really said anything about it. And they're just now talking about it this week after this game, which makes sense because they got a month until the next game. So now you'll say some things. But, you know, you don't, you never really know exactly what anybody's going through, and you never know how anybody's going to react to a situation. There were a lot of reasons why Tennessee just could have rolled the ball out there and just, meh, today, let's just get through it, win by a couple touchdowns, move on. They spent three quarters just kicking Vanderbilt's ass in every way you could kick it. And I, after the first drive on offense, Vanderbilt didn't do a ton until Tennessee's kind of starters started coming out of the game. They did absolutely what they needed to do, and they played well. Yes, it's Vanderbilt. Yes, it doesn't mean a lot. But they went out there and played well. They did things in this game that 
some of them hadn't done right in, in, a, in a while. Even against earlier this season against FCS competition, they weren't doing some of the good stuff they did today. So I think that speaks to what Ben's saying about culture, like that stuff does matter. Yeah, and I'll start by saying again, um, because it is worth repeating, Vanderbilt's really bad. Um, they've yes, lost. There's no, there's no denying yeah. that. We could say that for an hour. Right, exactly. They, they've lost every SEC game they played by 16 points or more. So mm-hmm. they did exactly what you're supposed to do yes. against this Vanderbilt team. But the last two weeks, a lot of people probably wondered if they were capable of that. They're so beaten up and they were so, um, so unimpressive offensively the past two weeks. I mean, one. Uh, one offensive touchdown, their first play from scrimmage against Georgia, and one touchdown against Missouri <laughs> didn't give you a whole lot of confidence that this team could go out and score 40-plus on anybody. Uh, so for Tennessee to take care of business and be leading this game by uh, by more than 30 going to the fourth quarter, uh, you, you obviously have to feel a lot better about the way they're ending the regular season regardless of the opponent. So, yeah, they, they took care of business. I, I thought I thought they, they said it well. You know, Ramel Keaton, I think, mentioned this week that they, they're, they're playing for pride. You know, you're, you're, you're not just playing for – um, you know, bragging rights over a single opponent. You're 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 trying to show that you're better than what you've looked like the past two weeks. And they obviously came out today and did that. And they hey, they played with some fight. Credit to Vanderbilt for literally. If, yeah, if it wasn't already a, a a game, if they weren't already really into it, boy, they 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 got they woke up Tennessee in the second quarter with, with basically turning it into a brawl there for a minute uh, before things kind of settled down and uh, you know giving this rivalry a little bit of a spark uh, where Tennessee's kind of dominated it the past five years. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, kind of uh, taking exception to some things Tennessee did there, some some uh, some some hits after the after the whistle they didn't hear, I guess um, that that maybe caused things to get a little heated, and uh, and that that made things interesting for a minute. But by that time, Tennessee had already taken control anyway. But certainly that uh, made made Tennessee probably a little more motivated to. To, to stick it to Vanderbilt and uh, you know give Vanderbilt credit too they fought uh, to the end and scored a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter but yeah Tennessee took care of business and and, and that the biggest thing to me just executed really well considering who all was out there yeah, I mean, except the penalties which are just going to happen every week no matter what other than that good yeah. execution and it, and that that's been uh, more the rule than the exception under, under Josh Heupel for whatever reason um, his teams going back to UCF just have a decent number of penalties um, and and Georgia last week was kind of an exception to that only what three penalties in that game I think so that that was a rare improvement but yeah that this team this team had reasons that they could have been really ugly today and not impressive and just won by seven and not not taking care of business the way they did and they they overcame the injuries and, and Joe Milton played his best game of the year really and, and they they did what they needed to do yeah absolutely and kind of going back to what I said earlier I, I know it's been frustrating at times this season for for some of those senior individuals but uh, at the end of the day, I, I do think we always need a, a reminder every now and then that this is college athletics, and, and there is a a certain novelty, I guess, to to what we are covering and and what we are watching. And uh, unfortunately for 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 a lot of us, college athletics has gotten away from why we grew up loving college athletics. But on days like today, I, I do think these type of games and days are, are a good reminder of why we do love college athletics and, and college football. And, and it was just really cool, even for, for guys who have been, who have had frustrating moments and, and inconsistencies throughout the season. It, it was cool to see Ramel Keaton go catch two touchdowns on senior day. It, it was really cool to see Tennessee's tight ends, Jacob Warren and McCollin Castles, both of those guys catch touchdowns on senior day, especially a guy like uh, Jacob Warren, for both of them, but for different reasons. Jacob Warren, sixth year, grew up in the area, dad played here, has a ton of family and friends at every single game. This means a lot to him. And for him to score a touchdown on senior day is is really neat. Uh, McCollin Castles never really got the true college football experience. He kind of talked about that in his postgame press conference uh, and, and talked about you know, for fans, like, 8-4, and four, frustrating when there was talk about competing for the East. But for McCollin Castles, coming from where he came from, like, this was the highlight of his college career. Even with Tennessee going 8-4 and four and being able to play on this stage in these type of football games. And he ends his regular season uh, with a touchdown as well, making a nice catch on a nice throw from Joe. And, and then, obviously, Joe Milton. I know he's a, a hot topic conversation right now. Um, but re- really cool to see him – 
end his Tennessee career on a, on a really, really high note. Uh, first quarterback, like you mentioned, Ryan, to, to account for six touchdowns since Jonathan Crompton. And it is pretty ironic and funny, the, the parallels p- between those two uh, college careers. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I know, I know Milton has frustrated fans, Wes, but at the end of the day, he still stuck around when he could have he left. He could, he could have bailed on a new coaching staff that, that handpicked him. They, they, the first thing that this staff basically did when they got here was go get Joe Milton. <laughs> that was one of the first things uh, after securing some of the players that didn't choose to transfer. Uh, and, you know, I know Joe doesn't want to admit it publicly, but he lost his starting job. And, and he could have tucked tail and, and run, but he stuck around, and, and he did get better over the course of his Tennessee career. And, and for him to – end his college career with a six-touchdown game and nearly 400 passing yards, two rushing touchdowns, and, man, was just throwing darts all over the field. Good for him. I, I At the end of the day, it is college athletics, and it, it is cool to see guys have moments to, to end their college career, especially after uh, a frustrating season at times. Yeah, he'd have put up 400 yards in three quarters of guys that caught the football. I mean, just – passes that were right where they needed to be and plays weren't made on them, but that, that's life. That, that's just how it's going to be for this passing game at times this season. There's just going to be plays that are there to be made, and for whatever reason, they're not made. But that, that's just that, – that's, that's not a bug. That's a feature kind of to what's going on this season with what they've, had, what they've been dealing with. But, I mean, you talked about McAllen Castles. Just a really quick side note, how nice would it have been to watch that guy play football for more than one season? I think there is a really nice player in there – and I'm sure his journey's taken him a lot of different places. We know it has, but man, that that guy's got some ability. Like, there's a reason why NFL teams have been kicking tires and stuff on him before, and not just this year, but last year too, because he's a good football player. And, and it would have been nice to to see him for more than one year. I know Hypo would have liked him for more than one year, um, but that's how it goes sometimes. But before we go to break, I will notice. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned it yet. Jalen Wright did become Tennessee's first 1,000-yard rusher since. Um, Jalen Hurd, I believe, years ago. 2015. Yeah, with a lot more carries that Hurd had that season. I mean, what Wright's done with what he's had, I mean, it's the the yards per carry numbers are just ridiculous the year he's had. But I think it's interesting that in this game, Vanderbilt was very clearly doing what I think a lot of us would have wanted to do if we were coaches playing Tennessee, which is load the box, make Milton prove he can beat you. Just make him do it. Make him prove it. Make that passing game prove it can beat you. And then it proved it could, and then Vanderbilt kind of didn't change what it was doing defensively. So it made me think, um, are y'all watching the same game? Like, you're back, back up. Back up like everybody else is doing. Um, but they didn't. And, and so, um, but Tennessee made the plays that were there to be made. Jalen Wright, um, you know, they didn't really need to run the ball a lot because that's, what, that's not what Vanderbilt's defense was asking them to do. And they still, uh, as a team, I think, what did, what did he end up with? I've got the numbers here in front of me. Wright had, you know, 75 yards on 11 carries. Samson had, what, 40 on 10, small 30 on 4. Tennessee had zero negative rushing yardage plays uh, for many of those backs again. They, they did their job. And, you know, special teams was all right. Missed a field goal, dropped a punt there. It happens. That's football. That probably made the score look a little bit friendlier for Vanderbilt than Don't it should have. Um, but yeah, no, it does happen. It does happen. Uh, it's well, Iron Bowl, man. That's a, that could be another. I could take this conversation in a much different way. That's weird things happen at Jordan Hare Stadium for and against Auburn. Um, but you know, I thought Tennessee did what it needed to do, and I thought something that Ramel Keaton, of all people, said this week. Ramel Keaton going into this game had one of the most interesting quotes of the week talking about the pride thing and not being about who you're playing, but who, you know, what you're doing and what you're putting out there on tape and what you're playing for yourself and your teammates. And then Ramel Keaton, I think after the game, had, of all people, Ramel Keaton had the best quote of anyone, I think, of putting this season and this, this whole thing into context. And we'll talk about that and start moving a little bit forward. But before we do that, we'll step away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, et cetera, and then come right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker, Ben McKee, and Ryan Callahan coming to you from Neyland Stadium where the 21st-ranked Volunteers of Tennessee defeated the Vanderbilt Commodores 48-24. to The Vols racking up 617 yards of offense despite um, – you know, taking a lot of the starters out there in the fourth quarter. Vanderbilt was down uh, 45 to 10 before getting back there and getting a couple touchdowns uh, as consolation prizes. That's how it goes often in this series, and Tennessee took care of business. Got a lot more to discuss about this this game, uh, about this team, the future, many things. Um, but before we do all that, just a quick request from our end. Please take about a minute out of your day right now. Go rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening at GoVols247.com, nothing wrong with that. The best site on all of the internets to get coverage of Tennessee athletics. If you're there getting this podcast, that's great. Helps us out even more, though, if you go on there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere in the world you can cast a fine pod. You can find this GoVols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it. No complaints. Since we're doing it for free, though, I don't think it's too much to ask to go rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Tell everybody that you know. Tell people that you want to know. Tell people you see wearing orange. Just tell tell everyone. If you're already doing all that stuff, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Switching it up just a little bit, guys, I do want to talk about, in a second, what Ramel Keaton said about this season. And I know I said we were going to talk about that first in this segment, but I think as Ben made a really good point here during our little uh, interlull between segments here, I think we probably need to discuss something else first, and that is uh, the brouhaha, the, the kerfuffle there at the end of the uh, toward the end of the second quarter where I'm going to be dead level honest. I have not gone back to see a replay of exactly how Clark Lee reacted, but I do not at all blame him for going off the rails at what happened in that moment because his quarterback took two absolute shots on plays that did not count and plays where officials should have stepped in and stopped it from happening. And it didn't happen, and it happened the second one over there near Vanderbilt's sideline really got this thing erupted. There were shoves thrown. You could argue there were punches thrown. You could argue that a helmet or two uh, was slung away from uh, its recipient. Things happened. Would not shock me if the SEC goes in and looks at that and decides that maybe some discipline needs to be uh, handed out for for the bowl game, which would affect Tennessee, obviously, more than it would Vanderbilt. Um, But I'll be honest, I think Tennessee players, a few of them could have acquitted themselves better during that whole deal there. But I'm not – it's a rivalry game. Things happen. Things get heated. And for me, the officials, this same crew – that just everywhere they go, things seem to happen. Um, something weird. They just they irritated Vanderbilt, rightfully so. I, I think for the anger from Vanderbilt, and then it then it got started. They they didn't come in and just adamantly blow everything dead the way they often do in those situations. You know, they say they said the whistle was blown. Um, I can understand why why some people might not have heard it in the stadium at the time. But usually officials come running in from the sideline and let you know what they're doing to where you can't avoid it. You can't miss it eventually. And that never seemed to happen. So play continued and things went too far uh, for, for a play that should have been blown dead. And yeah, I don't blame Vanderbilt for being upset in that situation. I don't blame Clark Lee for 
standing up for his team and, and getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty uh, on himself before uh, things things really boiled over on the next really play. Really should have heard fourth in the river, though. That's an old-school Tennessee yeah. thing that you used to hear in this stadium with, with um, you know, Bobby, Bob, Denton. Bobby Denton and some others when it was like fourth and 20-plus or whatever. Fourth and the river. It was, what, third and, and 39? Were, you know, they were even going that way, man. It was right there on a tee, and they didn't do it. So we'll have to talk to Jarnigan about that one. But uh, yeah. still. But that's uh, but yeah, I mean, for for them to not uh, to to not uh, handle that situation well is not surprising. Vanderbilt, you know, it's a it's a frustrated team. They they've got nothing to play for but pride in this game. Their season's not gone well, and to see, you know, their their guy getting you know cheap shots in their minds taken taken on him, uh, you can understand why well, they the was the first one may have been a cheap shot. The second one, no one knew the play right. was dead. Yeah, exactly. I'll, and I don't, I'm I'm not saying there was malicious intent on either of those plays, but yeah, the the plays weren't. They they didn't know the play had been blown dead, so they kept playing to to the whistle in their minds. So it's uh it's a tough situation. I blame yeah I blame the officials entirely for not taking control of that situation better. And uh, you you got to do more to protect players, especially in an era where everything's supposed to be about player safety. How can you not go in and make sure that players understand you're whistling the play dead and, and let things boil over to that point? And I I really thought they were going to lose control of the game there for a minute. That happened. Vanderbilt the, three quarters of Vanderbilt yeah. sideline was basically cleared, on Tennessee side. They line. cleared the bench. I mean, second quarter with a lot a lot of game left to play. I mean, that could have gotten really ugly if if things had continued to spiral from there. But thankfully, both teams kind of diffused the situation pretty well, uh, at least after the after halftime maybe, and uh, and kind of. Cooler heads prevailed. Yeah, the refs got to they, they got to blow their whistle there and, and make it more obvious. I, I don't blame Clark Lee for being mad at all. I also I'm not going to sit here and fault Tennessee's players for taking a lick on on the quarterback either. Not not because like an opportunity presented itself, but I, I don't really think anybody in the stadium heard a whistle. We we were talking up in the press box about how, and I know we're closed indoors but we can still hear in there and and we did not hear a whistle up here and and at least I didn't uh, I'll speak not for on myself play. on the first play I, I thought it was not like obvious but pretty apparent I think on the on the one where Baron got the shot in the second one that that was everyone was still playing football yeah I'm, I'll give Tyler Barron the the benefit of the doubt um it, the it was loud in here, so I, I, I just I, I want to put that on somebody if, if in fact, it, it did not actually happen. But the only thing that I will add to what you all said, because, I, again, the refs, they, they need to have better control of that moment. But, and I don't blame Clark Lee for getting mad and angry, but him acting like a maniac, which is a little bit different than simply being yeah, that's upset. That's what I was saying I didn't see. So. Uh, he, he lost his mind multiple times, and that his players – then lost their mind as well, specifically Will Shepard. And on the second one, when it really started to to become a brouhaha, Will Shepard kind of came flying in out of nowhere and, and shoved somebody, and then it escalated. And Tyler Barron and, and a defensive lineman down here towards Tennessee sideline, they were kind of pushing back and forth. I, I thought the Vanderbilt player kind of threw a, a semi-punch, and then they were pushing back and forth. And then Tyler Barron, from what I saw, threw a punch. and Looked like a punch. Right. I thought, like, yes, Clark Lee, you have a right to be angry. I don't blame you for being angry. I'd be angry too. But you can still be angry and act in a in a manner that doesn't incite everybody else. And I, I thought he escalated the situation by how he responded. You can be mad, but at the end of the day, you're the uh, the adult in the room, so to speak. You're supposed to set the temperament for the football team, and he set a bad temperament for the football team. And because of the way he responded – to the first one and how angry he was and running out on the field and, and it was almost more of a tantrum than being angry on the sideline in my opinion and some of his players I thought saw that specifically Will Shepard their star receiver and the next time they got the opportunity on that second one where like you said Wes you really could not tell the whistle was blown Will Shepard took advantage in my opinion because of what he had just seen his head football coach act and, and kind of acted in a similar manner and that's what kind of set off the the brouhaha there so uh, I, I don't think that they helped defuse the situation uh, but I, again I, I don't blame Clark Lee for, for being angry I just thought he could have handled it a little bit better probably but I think that it, when it happened twice I mean that that's 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 tough when it happens so quickly like that and then you're, you're having the kind of season they're having again I'm not going to speak for him it's not my job it's not any of our jobs but I mean these are big guys just waylaying on your quarterback, and if it's for all for nothing, 
I mean, ugh, that's that's rough. And, and there was a chippy game. You expect a rivalry game to be. I think it ended up with Tennessee had – let's look at the penalty numbers here. Tennessee had – Officially 10 for 108. Vandy had 10 for 83. That's not counting like the six or seven times there were offsetting penalties in this game. So, God, both teams could have been up, up near 200 yards uh, or 150 yards certainly in penalties if not for that stuff. You do see that stuff in rivalry, and you do see that stuff when one side sort of dominates the rivalry, and Vandy's, you know, just lost its 10th consecutive game. So there's going to be – they're having some issues clearly in the program. They're having a bunch of players who I think they'll have to fight really hard to keep. You understand some certain things. But regardless, that happened. We're not going to not mention it. And certainly if anything happens, if the SEC steps in and says something, we will see. Uh, part of me thinks that Tyler Barron might have be in a little bit of hot water. The other part of me thinks, well, then do you say all those Vanderbilt players who left the sideline then also miss like half of a game to start the next regular season. You get yourself in a tough situation there because if everybody's breaking rules, what are you going to follow and what are you going to not when you dish out punishments? That's another topic for another day. I thought, as I was saying in the first segment, guys, Ramel Keaton, that comment he had after the game, a guy who, again, not a man of many words. I've heard some teammates say that he's low-key one of the funniest guys on the team. When he's talking to us, he's – he, he is, and this is what my column is going to be basically, he, he is quiet when he talks to us. He's not rude. He's just, he's he's curt. He's kind of to the point. He answers your question. He can be very direct. But, but he doesn't say much more or anything more than he needs to say. And then he pops up there as this, like, eloquent guy here after the game saying that, you know what, the teen, the, the Tennessee seniors on this team are a big part of the reason why 8-4 and four is a disappointment this season because they were a part of raising the standards in this program. And on top of that, they also are, are part of a season this season that was disappointing. So they didn't they didn't go into the season one to be eight and four. They're not happy about it, but they're also part of the group that made it not okay for Tennessee to go eight and four again. So I thought that was the absolutely perfect way to describe what has happened. Because again, a lot of coaches came and left this program in order, did not win eight games, did not have an eight and four regular season. And in Heupel's third season, it's eight and four, and people are not happy about it. And that's fair. They shouldn't be. But that's also a sign that, you know what? Things are getting better. If you're not happy about eight and four, that's, that's better than where things have been. Oh, for, for sure. And that's, uh, and yeah, those, I, I, at least one of those eight and four seasons was similar in, in the sense that I think Tennessee felt that missed, missed opportunities to win some games those years. 2016. Yeah. I mean, for that 15 team, I think people thought in hindsight should have won the SEC East. So they've been here before uh, with fans being disappointed about an eight and four season in recent memory. But yeah, the fact that that's already happening in year three under Josh Heupel is the big thing to me is that, you know, two years ago, this was a roster in shambles after Jeremy Pruitt left and uh, you know, the NCAA investigation is underway, and you didn't know how, how bad things were going to get at the time. Tennessee weathers the storm pretty well, goes 7-5 and five that first year. And then last year, they're number one in the country and finish 11-2 and two after an impressive bowl win over Clemson. So, yeah, they, they've, they've raised, things, they raised the bar quite a bit and, and obviously have, have uh, accomplished enough that, uh, that people are a little disappointed with an 8-4 and four season. And that is to the senior, the senior class's credit. And this is also the class that stuck around. Uh, when they didn't have to, when a lot of guys chose not to. Um, some of these guys, you know, frankly, might not have had better, better options elsewhere if they wanted to leave. Um, and that's, that sort of is, is the value in this class, I think. These are, these are the guys who, um, you know, didn't get an opportunity to play until later in their careers in a lot of cases. And mm -hmm. Joe Milton had to get a second chance uh, at, at Tennessee to get a chance to play, and he had to wait for it even after getting to Tennessee. Um, started two games and then had to sit the bench for most of the past two years. So it's a it's a class that's shown a lot of patience, a lot of resilience to get to this point, and for them to accomplish this and, and win 25 games over the past uh, three regular seasons and 26 games total in three years, uh, that that's pretty remarkable. So I think this senior class should be remembered pretty fondly. And and hey, some of them might not be done yet. Some of them still have a. Uh, Still have eligibility left, and that, that's something that's going to be – Which is going to be a whole podcast at some point next yeah. week because it's it would be too much to try to add that into this because for, it's for – sure. it, it, God, that's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, lot, several interesting guys that didn't participate in Senior Day festivities, including Cooper Mays. So we'll, we'll see what happens with those guys going forward. But it's a, it, it's, a, it's a class that should be remembered fondly and a team that's obviously heavy on seniors and heavy on 
young guys and not much in between, and that's sort of the, the flaw in this roster. But in the meantime, you've got a big senior class that's done a lot for this program, and, and fans should certainly appreciate them, I think. Absolutely. Uh, they, they helped elevate the expectations. And as Wes pointed out, this is a, a group that, yes, they, they are part of the reason that 8-4 is disappointing, but they are also part of the reason – that eight and four is disappointing. It, it, it's a that positive, that, right? That that eight and four happened. The, the, they helped Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and, and that crew elevate the standards and, and elevate the expectations under Josh Heupel. And, and then there was also a side, absolutely, to to where uh, they they led to some of the disappointment as as well. But I I think they should mostly um, be remembered for the good. Far more than than the bad, if you want to use that that word, um, because you, you mentioned the Butch Jones season. There there haven't been many eight and fours that that have been disappointing. And I think we talked about this earlier in the year, me and Wes, after a post game pod. But at least, and maybe I'm being too participation trophy y, um, but I, I do think like you can you you can feel good if you're a Tennessee fan that. There is a stark difference between this group of people, this staff going eight and four, and that previous staff going eight and four. Because what happened during that eight and four year, at least in the off season and going into twenty seventeen, that's when a lot of the the infamous butch phrases that were just terrible PR, all, all the ridiculous comments that he made. That that's kind of when those excuses were start to, to be made and, and talking about how they, they don't the have – same guy printing shirts about going getting bowl eligible at Arkansas State? Yes. Yes, that guy. Uh, the, the, the excuses about the, how they don't have expectations in the building and, and just all the ridiculous comments that he made. Josh Heupel not once has made an excuse. Uh, he, he has mentioned reasons throughout the course of the season and especially here the last couple of weeks – uh, but he, he has always said, even when he has listed a reason, he has always taken accountability and said that th- this season has not met the expectations of myself, the, the players within the program, so on and, and so forth. So I, I hope that's not too much of a, a gold sticker that I'm trying to pass out. But I, I do think that's a, a real thing. Like they're, They are searching for solutions, not, not looking for excuses. And, and like if Butch were still here, th- there, there's a stat about, I mean, three consecutive years of winning X amount of games for the first time since like 16 straight seasons back between Johnny Majors and, and Philip Fulmer, like like Butch would be touting that stat if, mm-hmm. if he were here. And Josh Heupel does not care whatsoever uh, about that stat. Like he cares about finding solutions for how Tennessee can win championships, not avoiding those expectations like like we did see the Butch Jones staff. So I, I do think that this 8-4 and four feels much different than that 8-4. and four. And also this is year three. That was year four. And, and that roster was, was much more established. Uh, Butch took over, wasn't a good situation, but a better situation than what Heupel took over. Uh, so th- I, I do think it's a, a different situation. Um, but it, I, I think Tennessee is in a good place to, to be in going into year four, even if this season did have some frustrations and, and disappointment. And, and I, I agreed with what Josh Heupel said after the game. Like, he, he likes where this program is at. And I, I think he was being genuine. He should be genuine because they – he, he knows that they need more personnel, and I think there's more personnel on the way. Will it be good enough to go win an SEC championship or, or go win a national championship? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to be that level of good, but I know he's going to be in the ballpark and competing each and every season. It, it's not going to be like some of these other schools where it takes a couple of years to, to build up for their 8- or 10-win season. Like it, It's going to be a pretty consistent nine ten flirting with that year in and year out for Josh Heupel and and it's a matter if he can catch lightning in a bottle I think yeah I think and again we're we're gonna have more discussions on this next week I I do think this is just something I would file under just my opinion not anyone else's certainly speaking only for myself we never know in the portal era what a roster could look like. like we got no idea we're going to have more podcasts to talk about what the hell this roster could look like next season because a lot of guys might be coming back might not be a lot of guys might leave to go somewhere else a lot of guys might leave from somewhere else to come to Tennessee it's gotten to a point where you just don't know it's year to year you don't you have no idea and, and so that's the world we're, we're living in here but unless Tennessee just knocks the 
snot out of it in the portal and and brings in some real either upperclassmen, proven high-impact guys or guys that they can coach up, fit into what they do, and hit the ground running, I don't think they're competing for championships next season. I don't look at that situation and see, again, how that could become like a team that maybe wins the East or something like that. I think it's going to be a solid team, but and I think that's maybe why this season feels a little bit – Disappointing, even though in reality, with all these injuries, this is probably an eight and four football team, and that's fair and square. But you know, you see that, and then I think there will be a narrative going forward, like next season, if they have another season, sort of like this one in some ways, that things are not going well. And I'm I'm just here to tell you now, I don't believe that. I think for the future, I think they're just fine. I just think there's going to be maybe one more year where they're not quite what you want them to be if you're a Tennessee fan and that's going to have to be what it is I think they could be better defensively next season I I think they have a chance depending on what happens but you know I don't know what's going to happen with Nico I I, you know in terms of what he's got around him how much how many I mean does he have nerves does he stay healthy does he light the world on fire We, we don't know we have no idea but I think I could see this being somewhat similar next season just with different pieces but they'll be younger, and you'll have something to build on, so it might feel different, even though some people might not see it that way. I just I think that's why maybe this season you had a chance, you thought, right? Like you had a chance, things were maybe there, and with these the number of guys they had lost, it wasn't going to happen. Like with, with some of these guys that they haven't had, it was not going to happen. And did Missouri get uglier than it should have? Yes. Did Georgia feel – like a slap in the face, basically, for 60 minutes, yes, because it was. But the opportunity lost at Florida, always going to be a bummer because Tennessee's a better football team than Florida. Just didn't play like it that day. But at the end of the day, guys, did Tennessee – who did Tennessee beat that was a good team? Like when you think about it, really, really. The best who one did of the season this was Texas A&M. Yes. Who did this team beat that was a good win? So that sort of tells you what you are, which is, you know, with those guys that were injured, they were who they were, 8-4 and four football team. Yeah, and yeah, a lot, a lot of that's, that's going to happen in the next few months that will determine what that team looks like, obviously, next sure. season. And that's, that's the tough part, I think, for Tennessee fans because I think they went into this season thinking this was a championship contending team, and mm-hmm. they think there's no reason next year's team shouldn't be either. And the transfer portal has played a part in that. I think people see other programs having more success in their minds in the transfer portal and getting more impact players in the transfer portal and wondering why Tennessee can't speed things up a little bit more themselves in the transfer portal. And I, I'm just here to tell you the transfer portal's hard. It's it's really tricky to get the right guys out of there. You know, for every Jordan Addison, you know, that, that goes from Pittsburgh to USC and, and just immediately uh, becomes an early draft pick in the NFL because he's already established at his previous school. And for every Jared Verse that goes from uh, from the FCS ranks to, to Florida State and becomes a first-rounder, there's a guy who goes the other direction and, and, and plays uh, plays not as much as you thought or isn't a good culture fit or isn't it just isn't as good. You know, look at what happened with Dante Thornton this year. He was a disappointment. So the transfer portal's tricky. It, it's hard, and, and, and you gotta, yeah, you got to get some luck. you got to stay healthy. you got to get the right guys, and, and even then it can take some time. So I, I don't think there's an, a, a, a short uh, – a quick fix for this, uh, where, where Tennessee is. It's a roster in transition. I thought it was this year too. And now you lose a bunch of seniors who were not, you know, elite, elite players, but good players that played a lot of football for you. And now you got a lot more to replace and th- got to patch things together on the offensive line and try not to lose too much there and, and see if you can kind of bring it back next year in pretty good shape. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's any reason to be worried going into next year, but I would tend to agree, Wes, and the schedule gets harder too because you go to Oklahoma. Um, and the SEC is obviously bigger and deeper next year too. So you add all that together, it's a team that's probably going to be, you know, getting getting a lot of nine and three predictions, maybe eight and four this time next year, um, or, or going into next season. And, and that's that's not what fans are going to want to hear probably with with Nico. Um, and, and so you you end up hoping that Nico just elevates everything and makes everyone everyone around him so much better that you become a championship contender. But aside from Nico, there, there probably isn't much reason to think this team wins more than eight or nine games next year. That's that's kind of what they'll look like roster-wise. We know it's a huge offseason. There's no doubt about that. That that, that we can all agree on, and, and they have some positions to, to shore up. There is no doubt about that. And kind of just going off what you all said, I mean, the, the transfer portal, it, it, it's – 
if used properly, it's a nice cushion or a nice fallback plan. A supplement. Yes. You cannot, you cannot build your roster solely off of the transfer portal. And there is a misconception amongst fans about the transfer portal. And I think media members maybe get caught up in the transfer portal as well. Just because a guy's in the transfer portal doesn't mean he's a good football player. Uh, and the really good football players in the portal, they, they, they're they wanted by everybody <laughs> in the country. Look at what happened with Dion this year. Look at, yes, look at – and, and like, you can have your, your one-season wonders, uh, Michigan State under Mel Tucker, and uh, Dion has had more success at Colorado than, than he probably should have based off of what Colorado did last year. I mean, that, that was just a, a wretched football team last year at Colorado. Uh, and it feels at this point like a disappointment because he's lost so many in a row now. But, I mean, that that was a football team with zero talent. And for them to even be somewhat of a talk at, at times this season is a minor miracle. Uh, Helps but, to have a quarterback that can do some cool things. Absolutely. It absolutely does. And, and hopefully for Tennessee, Nico is, is able to do that even as a, a redshirt freshman. Um, but going back to Mel Tucker and Michigan State, what did Michigan State do the year after that magical run with, with Kenneth Walker? It's been it's been tough sledding in East Lansing, and, and not just because uh, of Mel Tucker getting himself in trouble off the field either. It's because the, the portal is boomer bust, and, and you just don't know about team chemistry. You can't build a roster, the foundation of a roster from, from that standpoint. Uh, you, you talk to any successful coach in America, and, and they'll tell you that you have to build it through the high school ranks. You, you just have to. And, and then if a guy leaves earlier than you maybe initially anticipated or, or a guy leaves for whatever reason or you have a hole in your roster pop up, then, then you go use the portal to, to fill in those holes. And uh, the, Tennessee definitely has holes, and, and they do need to, they need to take advantage of the portal in the worst way possible to maybe expedite the process of, of Nico winning some football games here. They, they got to sure up the offensive line until some of those younger guys are, are ready. If they're ever going to be ready. Uh, Receiver is really thin going into the off season. Need more bodies there. You, you, you need more bodies in a lot of places. So it, it is a big off season for Tennessee. And uh, I, I think it's just as important that they, that they develop their, their players just as much as they have any off season up until this point, if, if not more. Um, because they, there is a lot of young talent on this roster. There's more young talent coming in with this signing class. Uh, they, they've got to develop those guys and, and have them ready to play at some point. Yeah, and it'll be greatly impacted by the guys who do and do not come back for another season at Tennessee. We will see. There's some huge names there, and we're going to talk about them next week. I mean, we could have had another hour tonight talking about just those names and how much that could change things, whether they go or, or don't go or, or, or whatnot. So, again, that's where things are. But you control what you can control. You do what's in front of you. Tennessee needed to beat Vanderbilt today, and it did that. Tennessee has gone to 8-4 and four now. Tennessee has gotten itself uh, into a situation where it'll be uh, a decent bowl game, not a great one, but a decent one. A chance to go out there, probably beat a team. We'll see the matchups, but probably a team Tennessee has a chance of beating may, may end up being your best win of the year, depending on what the matchup is. So we're, give it a go. And we're a week away from finding out where that'll be. But right now, we the mo, the ones we've heard the most so far, Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. And, and I'd say that's a very real possibility right now. Yeah. Uh, that would be December 29th if you're planning a, a trip to Florida for that one, possibly. Um, the other, I mean, the other possibility is maybe Charlotte, Nashville, but neither of On those. On 27th, Charlotte. Yeah. Please no. But neither of those makes a ton of sense to me because Tennessee played earlier this year in Nashville. We got wives. We got kids, man. We can't be doing that. And they play early next season in Charlotte, so I don't think either of those is ideal. And there are some other possibilities that probably make more sense for for both of those bowls. Kentucky looks like a, a good a good option for one of those games. You know that there will probably be some better fits uh, than Tennessee for those spots. So we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, either way, you're probably looking at one of those sort of second tier games, if you want to call them that. Not not going to Florida, uh, not going to Orlando or Tampa, not going to uh, you know one of the New Year's Six games, but still a, a pretty solid bowl and, and should be a, a pretty fun opponent. And it was a pretty fun senior day for Tennessee. So I think that's probably all you could do today is play the game in front of you. That was Vanderbilt. Tennessee took care of business 48-24, and we had a lot to discuss on that. And we will have more to discuss on it here in the coming days too. So uh, it's a really crazy couple weeks coming up for all of us, especially for Ryan with everything going on there. Uh, ben and I will be um, traveling to the state of North Carolina next week. Uh, the Tennessee 
playing a really big basketball game on the road at Chapel Hill in the Dean Dome. Lots and lots of stuff to discuss, and we'll get to all of it. But I think we're at a good place now to wrap this one up. So uh, y'all got anything else? No. Let's leave it. Then we'll leave it right there. Thanks for being here, fellas. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes. You're welcome. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. baseball season is in full swing which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today part of the cbs sports podcast network join scott white chris towers and me frank stample every weekday as we recap every player from every game we'll talk waiver wire ads drops players to trade for prospects who could make an impact and everything in between make sure to download and follow on apple Podcasts, spotify the odyssey app and everywhere else podcasts are found